And this is like a very old Indian man, someone who you, you think isn't capable of any change, said the words, I was wrong. As a daughter, you have made this family so proud and you've done what no son could have done. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Visit betterhelp.com slash Padilla because sometimes existing is exhausting. And if you want to watch an extended version of this interview, and I don't just mean by a little bit, I mean by a lot of it. Click the join button down below to become a member and support this channel. Anyway. Hello, Lily. Hello, a handshake. A oh handshake. My That's how we it. begin things here. Okay, all right. Nice and professional because yes. things are about to get very unprofessional very quickly. I love it. So when I first met you, you were doing comedy sketches. Yeah. You're getting, you were, they were really, really popular, like 10 to 20 million views each. Yeah. You're covering culture, mm -hmm. family, womanhood, yeah. breaking down stereotypes. Yeah. You got the diamond play button like seven years ago yes. for hitting over 10 million subscribers. Totally. And it did exactly what I thought it was gonna do. What? Fed me, <laughs> held me, validated oh. me. <laughs> Boosted your ego. All the things I thought it was going to do. Yeah, forever. That, that thing is very day. heavy, though. Till did this you, day, did you I get wake jacked up. just picking it up and rocking it and carrying it. It is very heavy. Yeah, it's super. It's too heavy. I feel like it's kind of a metaphor for the weight of wow. having that kind of pressure on you and that many eyes on you. Absolutely. Wow, that was deep. But that's exactly what it's like. A few years ago, you transitioned away from YouTube. Mm -hmm. Was that a conscious? choice to like be like I'm 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 leaving YouTube behind I'm done with YouTube I never had a moment where I, I thought I'm done with YouTube. I was obsessed with YouTube. I have a very obsessive personality. I don't know if anyone has noticed here. <laughs> when I do something- I remember all your rise and grind tweets. Yes, exactly. When I when I do something, I'm like, I gotta do it to the 200th degree here. Mm -hmm. um, but I never had the thought in my brain saying, I'm done with YouTube. I think naturally it happened when late night happened. In my heart, I felt like I could do both. Very quickly, I realized that was super difficult. But I think what, I did tell myself is that I wanted to do as many things as I could. You know, I always yeah. was the type of person that was like, let's see what else I can do. What mm. other things can I achieve? What other rooms can I get into? What other tables can I have a seat at? Mm -hmm. That's always been a, a drive of mine. You made the choice to do a late night show. It's NBC, right? Yeah. That's huge. Mm -hmm. Like that's, a, that's an amazing opportunity. Yeah, totally. Did, did someone come to you and present that to you? So it came across my desk and I got a call about it and people, might roll their eyes when they hear this because I know late night is such a like cultural phenomenon and a lot of people grew up with it. I didn't. Right. I didn't have that experience as a kid watching late night. For a period of my life, I exclusively watched Bollywood movies. And so mm. like I didn't grow up with late night. When I got the call, I was like, I never really wanted to be a host. I've always wanted to act. I don't know if this is... And then they told me the time commitment and how much energy it would take. And I actually said no. A month later, they called me again. Okay. And they were like, hey, we still have this show idea. We still need a host. We're coming back to you again because we really want you to do it. Did they sweeten the deal? They didn't. To be fair, initially we never even got into the deal. Oh, okay. So I don't even know if they sweetened the money part of the deal or the numbers part of the deal, but they did definitely sweeten the historic part of the deal, meaning my team sat me down and was like, Let, let's break down this offer properly. Okay. And it was explained to me the machine that is late night and how historically late night hosts have all looked the same and mm. talked about the same things. And this would be an opportunity to do something different and have someone different and, and kind of make history. And my ego likes making history, <laughs> like it does. You like to be the first to do things, right? By nature, I am that type of person that's like, oh, growing up, my parents told me not to do this. I absolutely have to do this. Like I gravitate towards the rebellion always. I know this about myself. And so I think part of what attracted me to late night was this idea that I could break 
a system, break a mold, do something different, and, and blow the door wide open. Mm -hmm. So what did your workload end up looking like? Like, what was the reality of that situation? After you said yes, what actually happened? I still have vivid memories of this conference table I sat at when mm -hmm. I agreed to do this. I remember someone had suggested that, Lily, you can be as involved or as not involved as you want. You could literally, and I quote, come into the show, read off the teleprompter, and leave. Now, as we discussed, I'm a very addictive personality. That is not me. I'm not mm. the person, I'm not the late night host that's gonna walk in, read off the teleprompter. I was like, I'm gonna be involved in every part of this late night show. And very quickly I realized I didn't have a choice but to be involved in every part of the show. If you because, wanted it to be good. Exactly, we were so understaffed, we had so such little resources, and the reality is when you look like me, you don't have the privilege of walking in and reading the teleprompter. There's way too many groups of people that are counting on you to represent them. There's way too many critical eyes on you mm. ready to tear you apart. I'm yeah. part of so many groups, you know, the queer community, women, BIPOC community. And I'm not just saying those as like things to check off a box, but like people did genuinely come to me like we're counting on you. The too long don't read I can definitely say is that it was super, super tough, but I do not regret it at all. Mm -hmm. I stand by that decision. I think it has made me a substantially better person spiritually and just in terms of the work I decide to do now. So as much trauma as it has given me, I do not regret it. I can only imagine, you know, because that's, that's the number one thing that people like to bring up when, when you're mentioned. I posted a community tab post yep. saying I was gonna be interviewing you and people were like, late night show, yep. destined to fail. Actually, that's yep. a big thing. People were saying that it was destined to fail. And mm -hmm. that almost seems like the people that are giving you grace because- I mean, music to my ears of all the things I hear about the- And it's true because I feel like it's it's easy to be like, oh my God, she, she failed and she sucked for these reasons. And it's more critical to actually look at it as a bigger picture and be like, well, why? Why? Did the sound suck? Why didn't she have the number of writers mm -hmm. other shows have? Why was it at 1.30 if you're trying to do something new? The amount of times I would be on the late night set and walking towards my monologue mark and I would talk to my producer and I'd be like, just so we're on the same page, both of us know this is not funny. Like I'm gonna go out there and really pretend it's funny, but I know it's not funny. And this is the and stuff that was written for you, that you written wrote? Written for me, but I also have to say it's not the writer's fault. My writers were very funny. Yeah. So let, don't be confused. This is not me crapping on the writers. My writers were extremely talented, but my writer's room was half the size of every other show. And it was so, uh, how many episodes were you shooting so a day? So two to three episodes a day. Most late night shows shoot one a day. Wait, why were you shooting two to three a day? Because we had to shoot 96 episodes in three months because of our budget. Why did you have to shoot 96 episodes? Yes. Why? And, why 96? Well, the, the, the deal was for 96 episodes. And the longer a shoot is, the more expensive it is. But if you consolidate a shoot, it's cheaper. But our budget could not afford, like I couldn't shoot one episode a day and do 96 days of production. The budget would never have survived with that. So the writers that are so talented are spread so thin where they're like, yeah, this, we, we know it's not perfect, but this is what it is and we gotta go. So I guess this sit. is good enough, I exactly. have no time. So I'd literally go out there and be like, it's the worst feeling to be like, I know this is not good. I know right. it's not this, but I'm gonna do it. And I'm gonna sit with a smile on my face and I'm gonna laugh as if it's really good. That killed me more than anything. And so I will never do something again if I can't say I was proud of it. You still have a huge future in entertainment and just doing what you do. Yeah, baby. So it would be Trying pretty wild. Trying to achieve wild. the unachievable every day. It would be pretty <laughs> wild to think that two yeah. years, two, two seasons. Two pandemic seasons on top, but let's not two even get into that. Two seasons during the pandemic, which you shot because you had to pre-shoot so much. Let's also talk about this. Yeah. My first season of my late night show 
half of the episodes aired during a pandemic and I am talking about parties, traveling, making out, hooking out with people, all, with a live audience. And so already people are like, what the F is this? Because pre-shot all this before the pandemic yes, hit. correct. That but was you're season releasing one. it mid-pandemic. Correct. Already set up for failure. That was season one. Yeah. Okay. Season two, my final season where I'm like, okay, now I find my, find my voice. I'm trying to do better. Full pandemic. Full pandemic. All interviews over Zoom, couldn't even get the Wi-Fi to work rough. in the house. That is rough. So you also got to look at like, oh, so she got two seasons of a show that were also pandemic seasons. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Every other show that existed during that time that was having pandemic, you were like, oh, let's cut them some slack. Let's give them a break. They can't. They don't have the... My show purely existed in the pandemic. Would you do it again? Like, were there... If, if I have someone, asked myself this so many times. If NBC said, hey, come on, do another show, would you say yes if? Here's my answer. I think when people have asked me this before, I've been like, no, 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 that's a lie. I think I don't know the answer. Okay. All I know is I would approach it way differently. I would say before I even, and I do this with all my other projects now, before I even consider whether me saying yes or no is over here, right now we're over here. For me to get here, I need you to tell me what the budget of this show is, what resources I'm gonna have in their entirety to support me and make sure the show is quality. I need to tell me, I need to have a personal conversation with all the execs involved with this show. I need to know what the marketing budget of this show is. I would need to know all of those things. All the questions I wasn't savvy enough to ask the first time, I would need to know it all because they all make a difference. Do you think showing up and, and kind of forcing yourself to portray a feeling of it being funny, even though you knew it didn't, could be felt through the screen? Yeah, maybe. I'm sure they could. And don't get me wrong, some episodes were great. In yeah. season one, there was a handful of episodes where I was like, ooh, that guest was great, that monologue was actually really, really good, that bit was great. So it wasn't all bad, but the majority of it was some part. When you're shooting 96 episodes yeah. in, in 30 days? Yeah. And no, 96 episodes in three months. Okay. Yeah, so two to three episodes a day. So how many hours were you working a week? Do you have any Oh my goodness, concept? every waking moment. Every waking moment. I would be usually the first to get to the studio, the last to leave, because after everyone else would leave, I would watch review episodes that would be airing the next day. Holy shit. Yeah, it was, and again, I know, here's the thing. I know this sounds like such a pity party what? and like a friggin' like, oh my God, woe is her. Like, but it, the truth is it was really friggin' hard. I think it's common for people to be like, oh, you chose that problem to have. Like mm -hmm. that was something that you chose, especially if people are like, I'm having a lot of issues. I didn't choose to have any of these problems. Right, right, yeah. They were all given to me. I'm sitting here watching someone complain about things that they chose totally, to totally, have. Totally, totally, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, when you signed up for this, you could not anticipate this would be the way that it would all go. It's like choosing a step that you actually don't know at all what the step looks, <laughs> looks like. Yeah. And again, I go back to the simple sentence of, it was someone trying her best to do something new, and it turned out that new thing was extremely difficult in ways I could have never foreseen. Yeah, there's there's literally video essays out there breaking oh, down. I, oh, I know. Have you I, seen these things? I know, or? because what I do when I see them is I press those three little dots and go, hi, do not show me this time. Not interested. <laughs> I have watched some. Some of them are actually really thoughtful. Um, some of them people break down as to exactly why it didn't work and whatnot. Mm. Some of them, I, I won't lie, are just straight up mean. Um, yeah. But some of them I appreciate that are actually really critical. And again, I have to emphasize, there's also a lot of people out there that were super supportive. Still, factually, that show gave so many people their first late night debut. So the guests that were on my show were people that could not get on any other late night show because people would not book them. I'm talking 
BIPOC people, queer people, diverse people. Um, when there was a farmer's protest in India, people that would talk about that were talking about things that were not being talked about on our late night shows, giving people their late night debuts. I had an entire monologue about soca music, about carnival, about the farmer's protest. Those were still, I maintain, people and subjects that we would not have seen on late night if it wasn't for my show. Mm-hmm. My staff, incredibly diverse, even still. Still a win. That is a win. So. Again, we go back to there's different ways to view success. Did I get a million seasons? Did I make huge amounts of bags from it? Did I do? No, but there's other ways to succeed. And th- that show definitely had many W's outside of it having multiple seasons. When you are the first to do something or you're the first person uh, that looks mm-hmm. like you that to do something, it's just so hard to, to say that it will be a success. All you can do is try and Failure is a part of any process. The way I see it is if years from now, there is a late night host or anyone even close to that role that does look like me, I would like to hope that because of their existence, that means my show was a success. Mm. Because success can look different. Success doesn't mean multiple seasons, Emmy awards. Success can mean that you failed and taught an industry something and paved a small inch of a path that someone else walked. Like, I really will die on that hill. I have that belief. That's what representation's about. There are no fails when it comes to representation because I walk the path of many people who could be considered fails as well. Mm-hmm. But I only exist because of them. So that is my hope. Do you, in a strange way, think that you're stronger because of it? Oh my God, yes. Since late night, any project I've done, I have not been phased by the workload or the schedule by, of it. Not saying that's healthy or unhealthy. There, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a borderline. Um, having said that, do I make healthier choices after late night? Yes. I think after the first season of late night, I was in the worst physical, mental, emotional, spiritual health of my life. And I've decided to never go to that place again. So mm. I go to therapy consistently. I will not cancel my therapy because mm. of work-related things. I'll make sure it works in the schedule. I will not agree to do projects unless I know at the end of a long day, I can go home and say that was awesome and I'm proud of that thing. And I relate a little bit because you are someone that is like us that wants everything that you do to be really good, something that you're proud of. And you're consistently having to put out stuff that you're not proud of and you're in a position where you can't say no to the things that are that you're now having to take on. It's just a recipe for- Totally. To, to implode. I think another, and this might just be my delusion as like a sensitive artist, I feel like I was so passionate about YouTube. I was such an advocate for YouTube. Subtle flex, but I'm just saying it. I, I helped The Rock launch his YouTube channel. Hell you yeah, know, I encouraged I Will that. Smith to launch his YouTube channel. Yeah. I was very much so like, YouTube is amazing. The community is amazing. The creators are amazing. Give them your money. They are real businesses. And I was such an advocate. And then I guess in my delusional brain, I was like, they're like my family and they got my back. And then when I did Late Night, to see that so many creators on YouTube like tore me apart the first chance they got. Mm. It was this irrational sense of betrayal, which I understand doesn't make sense because not every YouTube creator personally knew me and like was part of my circle, but it just felt like that. Like this this platform that I care about so deeply and have been such an advocate for are the very creators of which some, not all, are taking an opportunity to tear me apart. It Mm. just felt like a little bit of a betrayal. And I understand it's irrational. I know that. I feel like every creator gets to a place, hopefully, where they realize that not only should they not get too attached to the negative comments on YouTube, but you can't get too attached to the positive either. You can't feel 
Correct. You can't feel too safe. You can't feel like they're family. You can't yes. feel like correct. Like everyone has your back. You correct. just have to. You have to look at YouTube as you're so what it healthy. Is. You're so friggin' healthy. Oh, I had to learn so many things the hard way. Because that's correct. After late night, that's another thing I changed. I'm so grateful for all the support. But the, I summarize it as: don't take anything personally. What fuels me today is the um, amazing amount, many many people, especially women, that come up to me and say. You changed the game for me. Mm. You taught me I can do something. That is what fuels me today. So all the rest of it, although it hurts, is all noise. That is what is fueling me today. When I first started YouTube, my agenda was to prove people wrong. Mm. People said I shouldn't have this career. I'm gonna prove them wrong. People thought I couldn't make a business out of this. I'm gonna prove them wrong. And then somewhere along the line, I was convinced that instead of proving people wrong, you should instead prove people right. People that support you, prove them right instead. Oh. Focus on just the positive. I don't think either of those things are healthy. I like a healthy balance of both. I think. It would be naive for me to sit here and say that a lot of my success is not because I had a desire in me to prove people wrong. I am radically honest enough to say that,、mm -hmm. and I know that there's a gang of people that will listen to that and be like, "That sounds pretty sad and deranged." And to an extent, it is, but like a petty reason. It's not even petty. It's more so just that. Listen, what drives people is different. You know, what drives me is constantly being told I cannot do something. Yes, I want to prove people wrong. So that I can also prove people right. It's both. It's a mixture of both. I can't lie here and say that I only want to focus on the positive. A certain amount of friction has been useful in my success. If you are not constantly pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone, if you're not making yourself a little, just experiencing a little bit of discomfort,、mm -hmm. then you're not growing. Completely. You're stagnant. Exactly. You are. Your body will literally decompose if you do not move around. Discomfort and friction is the currency. That it takes that you spend to grow, in my opinion, and so I do feel like there's never going to be a world where people are going to be nice online all the time, and I accept that because I will use that and turn it into something positive as fuel,、mm -hmm. and I will keep achieving my goals. If your goal is to grow, you have to welcome that discomfort. And if your goal is to grow, everything is connected. I've also learned as well. It's difficult though when you know that you are at the same time. It's like there's the other side of that coin. It's difficult when you know that you are capable of anything.、Mm -hmm. If you just are able to dedicate the time, the patience,、mm -hmm. discipline, the focus to get there, and you have to remind yourself that you you really got to have that patience so that you're、right. not going to burn yourself out. It requires you to be in a very special place where you're not just disciplined with getting the work done, but、mm -hmm. you're disciplined with not working as well,、Correct. with taking that time for yourself, with knowing that there has to be balance between your personal life and your external. Goals and your internal goals. You know, for so much of my career, I was very hustle harder, hustle harder, and I am、yeah. still that. And I think over the past few years, people have been like, "You don't got to hustle every day. That's unhealthy." And I've had to really reconcile that to be like, "Were those years that I hustled so hard unhealthy?" The answer is probably.、Mm. Um, do I regret them? Truthfully, I do not. I could not confidently say I would be where I am right now if I didn't do that. However, I now operate in seasons、mm. because I think it's also. A privileged conversation, and, and sometimes a naive conversation to say that everyone's got to have work-life balance all the time. It is not possible for a lot of people. Yeah, it is not a reality that, that that is true for a lot of people, and especially in the industry I work in. You know, if I'm shooting a show for four months, and I have to shoot every day for 15 hours, it is what it is. I can't then go home after 15 hours and decide to take a bath and meditate and get the right amount of sleep because that project does not allow that to happen. But what、mm. I can do is. 
work for four months and then take two to three weeks where I am on vacation doing absolutely nothing, where mm. I sleep in every single day. Where, and that's literally what I do. I operate in seasons when it comes to hustle and work-life balance. And that is what is working for me. One of the biggest things that I've realized with my work life is I feel like I'm putting in about as many hours of actual work as I have for huge periods of my life that were super stressful and completely destroying me. Mm. But now I'm recognizing that I get to choose what to worry about. I can mm. be more confident in knowing that I can show up here and do what I do and know yeah. that I'll do it well. Yeah. In the past, I used to spend like 15 hours of prep beforehand, learning yeah. every single detail yeah. about the guest, trying to make sure that yeah. any single thing that needed to be brought up, I can, uh, I know how to navigate that. And I would have like 50 perfectly crafted questions that I would try to say exactly the mm -hmm. way I wrote them. I mean, part of it's just doing this so much. You have to, you get to a point where you're like, oh, okay, I can't really. Right spend so much time doing that. But a huge part of it is just having confidence and choosing where to put my brain power totally. and choosing to not let the worry take up, I don't know, 25% of my constant energy at all times. That's super relatable, super relatable because I was also the same type of person. Even for things like, I'm going into a meeting, Cam, a pitch meeting, I'm gonna say this sentence, I gotta nail that joke and I gotta do this. Sure, be prepared, but I now am the person where I'm like, I'm gonna go into this meeting and I know I am charming enough and I am charismatic enough and I have earned enough stripes to go into this meeting for them to listen to what I'm saying and I, I'm confident I know this project. Right, you, you know stop what I mean? doubting yourself. Exactly, you stop doubting yourself, but it's also just like giving yourself, I'm, I'm, about, I'm going to get really like, really into, into deep right here. Do it. For so long, I was in the process of becoming, becoming something. Mm. Now I'm in the process of being. Mm. I am being something. There's a difference between those two things. There's and a that difference doesn't in the mean, way that you approach everything. Right, and there doesn't mean that I can't become other things. I think I initially had this fear of being like, if you feel comfortable with where you are right now, you will stop growing. It's not true. I can, two things can be true at once. I can both be and be fully arrived and I'm fully this person capable of doing this. And there's also a whole bunch of stuff I still wanna do. By the way, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Oftentimes in life, we're faced with tough decisions and the path forward is not always clear. No matter what you're dealing with, whether it's anxiety, depression, or thoughts that keep you up at night, therapy helps you stay connected as you navigate life and trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything. The more you practice it, the easier it gets. As I'm sure many of you know by now, I've been a huge proponent of therapy since I started going about six years ago. It's been hugely helpful and given me the empathy to understand my past self, which has in turn allowed me to better understand my current self. So if you've been thinking about starting therapy, BetterHelp might be perfect for you. It's 100% online and designed to work around your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and you'll be matched with the certified and licensed therapist. Plus you can switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Padilla today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Padilla. Now back to the world of Lily Singh. You did a TED talk. What was that? I mean, doing a TED talk, I feel like would be the most nerve wracking thing in the world. Totally. Definitely hands down one of the most scariest things I've ever done. I there should be a support imagine. group for people yeah. that have done TED talks. Yeah. People that don't know this, it is completely memorized. Comple There's no teleprompter? There's no teleprompter. It is completely memorized. Every fact, every, every figure, everything is memorized. And then me, in True Lily fashion, where it's like, how can I make my life even more difficult? I was like, okay, it's supposed to be 12 minutes. Mine was 19. 
Um, I had props that I had to do at certain times. And I also went through the slides myself. These seem like small things, but they're not when you're yeah. reciting memorized stats and everything. I was you super proud of myself. You looked comfortable as hell, Thank though. You. Thank you. People don't know this because it's not an edit. I did mess up one time. I mean, talk about okay, that. Okay, yeah. So I start my TED Talk talking about how in my adult life, I have become very self-aware with the fact that I have a chip on my shoulder. Like, I yeah. have a major grudge, and I'm not resistant to it. I fully embrace it. And that grudge is gender equality. And the reason is because, you know, in Indian culture, not this is not exclusive to Indian culture, there's many cultures where this is the case. Women and girls are not valued as much as men. And so when I was born, this born the second daughter in uh, to my mom, it was super disappointing. Like, oh, we already have a daughter in the family? As in, oh, you had one daughter. Let's make it right now and have a son. Let's like have a son. We really need you to have a son. A son is the one that carries on the name. A son is the one who makes a family proud. Mm. A son is the one who takes care of the family. Like a daughter was fine, but now for the second kid, like mm. let's get that that win. Um, so much so that my grandparents, my great grandparents in uh, India didn't call to congratulate my mom. That's why I everything I do in life uh, is always trying to prove something. Like, if I'm gonna be really honest, why did I gravitate towards YouTube? Yes, I can say all the answers, like, I want to be creative, and uh, it was a really cool platform, and all that is true, but I am attracted to influence and power because I always felt like that's how I had to change people's minds. And it's true, because in my TED Talk, I talk about how after I announced my first world tour trip to Unicorn Island, I strategically announced it in India, <laughs> no shocker. I went to Punjab to visit him for the first time. I've only met my dad's dad once in my adult life, and it was this moment. He was always disappointed in me being a daughter, and he greeted me as an adult with a flower garland, mm -hmm. showed me all the newspaper clippings he had saved about me, and apologized to me as an adult. And this is like a very old Indian man, someone who you, you think doesn't, isn't capable of any change, said the words, I was wrong. As a daughter, you have made this family so proud and you've done what no son could have done. Like that cured so much trauma in my life, but that is why I'm so addicted to anything that's like, I did that. A daughter did, I did that. I had power, I had influence. And so I'm fully owning that that may not be the most healthy thing, but that is definitely the truth about what drives me. And it taught me a valuable lesson of what change could look like. Yes. Especially when it comes to gender equality. Because people are so scared of that topic because it feels so overwhelming. And they're like, well, we can't solve this thing. It's like too big. But changing one person's mind then changes a family's mind, then changes a community's mind, then that's how culture gets changed. Mm. But me changing my grandfather's mind was a very big deal. It's like there's also another side of that coin though where it's like you had to prove. Like you had to work 10 times as hard as the male that they were hoping for, the boy that they were hoping for. I had to for, literally become to. a superhero. I had to literally be Superwoman. And is that why you made your name Superwoman? <laughs> Maybe, like? I mean, it works out quite poetically, doesn't it? I had to yeah. literally. And like people, oh, I did an interview a few days ago and someone asked me this and I was like, ooh. And I had to be really honest and admit it. I know in my heart, if I didn't get millions of followers and reach extraordinary heights, I know in my heart I would have never gotten that apology. That kind of sucks. It does kind of suck. And I'm, I, that is something I will have to live with. But the reality is I did work really hard. I did gain all that. I did get that apology. And I'm going to accept it. And mm -hmm. I'm going to take that. Mm -hmm. I do believe in the idea of holding on to a thought of an idea of something that you want to happen. Mm -hmm. And every time the opportunity presents itself, I did this with buying back Smosh. Mm -hmm. Every, I just held it in, the, in my head. I was like, that'd be really cool. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about that idea. But I didn't set out to 
I didn't try to approach it with, I need this to happen. I need this to happen or else my life is over. Mm -hmm. This is the only thing that matters to me. It was, I want to keep that in here. And anytime an opportunity presents itself, anytime there's a way to lean toward it, I'm just going to gently lean toward it. And eventually, that's awesome. It happened. For me, as someone who has a million ideas and my mind is very hyperactive and it's why I struggle to sleep at night and I, everything I do is to organize my brain and my thoughts and my passions and desires. And my vision board for me is being very specific about my goals. For example, if you're someone where you're like, my goal is I want to be rich. If you're sitting there watching this and you're like, I want to be rich. What does that actually mean? What is rich? How, how much money that? is rich? <laughs> how much money is rich? Does that mean you have a boat? Does yeah. that mean you feed your family? Like, what is rich? I think for me, it's about being very specific. These are the specific people I want to work with, the specific companies I want to work with, the specific goals. It, and and, and it, yes, it, for those that, people that don't know, it's in my shower. You have a vision board in your shower? It is in my shower. Just getting all sopping wet? So I have a glass oh. wall to my shower. It's on the outside. Uh, I know this is the first question everyone asks. On the outside, and then I'm going to tell you something else that you're going to think I'm super crazy if I okay. tell you this. But I just, I told you I was going to be radically honest. Okay. I have a vision board. And so when I look at the vision board in the shower, it gets me thinking and I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And then I get like prompts for things to do. Mm -hmm. So then I have some markers in the shower, mm -hmm. like, you know, mm -hmm. window markers. And yeah. then so from the shower and I have a thought, I'll jot it down on my shower mm -hmm. wall. And mm -hmm. when I get out of the shower, I'll execute against the shower to-do list. I know when I say these things, vision board in the shower marks, I sound like a lunatic. Like I'm, it's not lost on me that I am super obsessed, hustle. I know this about myself. But the one thing I do take pride in, and again, my line is not saying this is healthy or not, is of all the critiques I've ever gotten for anything in my life, I have never once been criticized for being lazy. I have never once had someone say, you did not work hard. Mm -hmm. And so I pride myself in that. Although that is just a societal Correct. concept. Oh, but what? Being lazy is just a societal concept. You're, you're right. For me though, with my immigrant parents and what they drilled into my mind, I'd be lying if I say that I'm not proud of that. Life is about self-awareness in my opinion and i am very self-aware about the things that i am healthy and unhealthy on and how i navigate those things and what my balance is and everyone's got to figure that out for themselves and maybe sometimes it's not about only doing the healthy things in life maybe no. sometimes it's about doing the unhealthy thing but knowing it's the unhealthy totally. thing and accepting it and not beating yourself up for it self-awareness Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like the world would be a substantially better place if everyone was just self-aware. That's a great segue. You're also making the world a better place because you got Unicorn Island yes. going on. Yes, I do. Tell me about that. So Unicorn Island started off as, you know, it was my tour name, my first yeah. tour trip to Unicorn Island. It was the YouTube documentary. Unicorn Island is a synonym for my happy place. That's what that term has always meant. And I feel everyone has a Unicorn Island in them. That's their happy place. But since I've adulted, uh, it's the name of my company, which has two parts. One side of it is a production company where we want to tell stories that champion underrepresented voices. So think like women, the BIPOC community, the queer community, funny stuff. It can be horror, funny, any genre, but message, message and representation. The second part of that is the social impact side of it, which is dedicated towards gender equality. And I know when I talk about gender equality, the internet, there's a bunch of people that are like, and I get it. And for that reason, I dedicated half of my company to this cause. I'm trying to make the issue of gender equality more accessible, not such a Debbie Downer and something that feels optimistic. If there was gender equality, actually everyone's life would improve. Rising tides raise all ships. Exactly. So I'm really, really dedicated to that. And so that entire fund is a, a charitable fund. Um, I do a birthday campaign every year for my birthday. I get donations from companies. We go and we give the money to um, community-based organizations starting in India, which help girls get skills, life skills, speaking skills, confidence building skills, go to school, learn about their health, all those things. What's next? 
achieving the un- the, the unimaginable, baby. Yeah. I I want to act. I love acting so much. I love. I like acting now, where I can like really sit in a character for a long time. Um, I want to act. I want to produce. I want to direct. You know, I have a production company, Unicorn Productions, working on a gang of projects. All that have like meaning and have purpose and are trying to say something. I have a vision board full of things and full of people, and I want to see all the things I can do in this life. Also, I have to say, this is a complete tangent I'm about to go on, but as a brown person, I'm stressed that my shoes are on your couch. Oh. I just need you to tell me that this is okay. That's totally Can you just fine. confirm on camera? It that is it fine is that you wore your shoes every, in the house. I want every South Asian person to know, because they're going to comment about this, that I asked permission to do this, and my shoes are almost brand new. So just in case, because I'm stressed about this It's right okay now. that you wore shoes in the house and okay. didn't take them off? Thank it's you. okay that you wore them Everyone on the rug? Everyone else wearing shoes, just it's so you guys okay know. It's okay that you wore okay. them Thank on you. the very delicate and expensive... No, really? No. This is fine. Okay, okay, good. This is fine. Do I need to... Okay, good, there, good, good. He there. did it. You I saw joined, that, right? I joined I'm in. I'm just like, you know, my brown people, this is going to be the first thing they comment. Lily's wearing mm. friggin' shoes on the couch.